Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone. This is Corey. Welcome back to another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. As always, if any of the stories are of interest to you, you can find links to them at blog.lgbthealthlink.org. Let's jump in with our first story of the week, Pandemic Exposes Trans Health Disparities. CBS News reported on how the COVID-19 pandemic is highlighting healthcare issues already faced by transgender people. I think we've seen this in a lot of issue areas with things like uh, housing and intimate partner violence and income inequality all kind of coming up um, in ways that we don't normally see them getting media attention. And there has been some coverage on trans health in a similar fashion. Now, CBS News reports that many trans people have to relocate or travel to find transgender-affirming care. It can result in housing instability. And now with the healthcare system in disarray, those already difficult to access services for trans folks are even more difficult. There has been very limited government attention to trans health during the pandemic. We haven't seen uh, many guidelines or, um, or reports or anything of that nature, and there is definitely no data on how trans folks are specifically being impacted by COVID-19. Meanwhile, at least one state, Idaho, has taken the time during this uh, crisis to pass what CBS News calls anti-transgender legislation. So interesting to see where their priorities are. Next up, Youth Front and Center in HIV Fight. The CDC marked April 10th as National Youth HIV AIDS Awareness Day, which this year had the theme Young People to the Front, Ending the HIV Epidemic in America. Resources include social media toolkit and a bill of rights for young people with respect to HIV and health. The CDC also shared social media graphics and posted a video testimonial from young people. And I think that even though we're a little bit past this now, it's not too late to kind of mark April as um, as being the month in which this day is uh, is acknowledged. I think there you know, was some mention um, in all of this content around how even though obviously we have other um, public health issues that we're dealing with right now, um, we should still be putting attention to things um, like National Youth HIV AIDS Awareness Day because those issues uh, aren't pausing while um, while COVID-19 has kind of taken our front attention. And really, a lot of these issues, as we just covered in the story before this, are even more important uh, now. Our next story looks at abuse faced by gender minority youth. Researchers led by Penelope Strauss found that among gender minority youth in Australia, several forms of abuse were all associated with poor mental health. These included physical, sexual, and other forms of abuse, and that included abuse that occurred both within the family and outside of the family context. They also found that while physical abuse was most likely to happen within the family, sexual abuse was more likely to happen outside of the family. And in particular, 30.9%, so almost 31%, also experienced partner abuse. So this is a very concerning um, study. There isn't a ton of research on kind of um, the situation uh, facing uh, transgender youth within the family context, since most of the research that we have from kind of big um, population studies, for example, doesn't look too much at what's happening within the family. So this is definitely um, very interesting and, of course, concerning. Next up, what trans women think about an HIV vaccine? 
A new study led by Nicholas Kenji Taylor found that transgender women thought HIV vaccine research was important and that they would be driven to participate largely uh, as a way of helping their community. Now, that's really good news because uh, obviously HIV vaccine research is very important. And a lot of times um, when research is being done, there aren't enough LGBTQ people, aren't enough people of color included in the research because of fear of participating within those communities. So it's good to see that trans women um, are definitely interested in participating in this research. However, and there is a however, they also cited barriers to participation, which included fearing side effects of such research and feeling generally excluded from medical research, which, you know, can make them less likely to want to participate and thus uh, create kind of a vicious cycle there. Having trust in their providers was a factor that facilitated their potential participation, which um, is a great point for those looking to conduct this kind of research, um, that provider-based trust uh, is a way of kind of boosting participation. And our next story, how to assess drinking among gender minorities. Researchers led by Inessa Flenge published more new research based on the PRIDE study, which is something that I've covered um, in a couple of recent editions of the podcast, which is a big study being conducted um, to gather a lot of data on LGBTQ health. Now, this study found that the best single question to determine if gender minorities engaged in harmful drinking habits was asking if they had had five or more drinks on one occasion within the past year. So basically, you know, while there are a lot of questions that can sense um, dangerous drinking habits, they found that that question was most kind of predictive of whether or not someone had, you know, a, a concerning level of alcohol consumption. Um, the result could help the literature on substance use among gender minorities grow. So kind of related to the previous story, you know, more, more research that tells us how to do research. And that's really important because, you know, we still don't have anywhere near the level of LGBTQ um, health research that we should, even though it really has exploded over the past couple of years. And part of the problem that researchers have is not knowing how to ask questions or how to do it efficiently. And so um, more research like this is so helpful in helping to grow the body of literature and therefore our understanding. And finally for this week, LGBT New Yorkers see parallels. U.S. News reported on the parallels some New Yorkers see between the HIV epidemic that took 62,000 lives in the city in the 1980s and early 1990s and the COVID-19 pandemic, namely with respect to the great fear being felt uh, at the community level right now. Of course, the difference, they say, is that HIV was largely concentrated among LGBT folks, whereas COVID-19 has had a much broader impact. Of course, we know that COVID-19 is having a disproportionate impact in communities of color. Um, we suspect it's having a disproportionate impact in the LGBT community. Certainly, the social isolation is having a big impact. So, um, you know, COVID-19 is certainly having disparities, but not to the degree um, that HIV was. Nevertheless, you know, a lot of the themes around stigma um, and fear and concern about the future are resonating with a lot of people who survived the HIV um, height in, in that period. Well, that brings to a close another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. As always, you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org for a written version if you'd like to follow up on anything that we've just discussed. And you can subscribe to the podcast to tune in for next week's episode. Thanks for listening.